0: Hey everybody, Johnny, your voice of a lost explorer. I am coming to you from the lovely podcast, Crap Bruce Geek News. We are here just to tell you a little bit about this show. We have heard a lot of feedback. People want to hear all 10 chapters back to back in an unabridged version of Andreas Constantine's Ode to a Lost Explorer. Visit his full audiobook at Ode to a Lost And of course, please check me out in my group at Craft Brews and Geek News Podcast. This is a very special episode, again, unabridged version of the Voice of a Lost Explorer brought to you by Andres Constantine Donnie of CraftBrewsandGeekNews.com, and and of course all fans of No Man's Sky. Until the next time everyone, enjoy this unabridged version of all 10 chapters, and please keep exploring, Interlopers. Ode to a Lost Explorer. This is the fictional travel blog through the procedurally generated universe of No Man's Sky. All content within this audiobook is copyright 2016-2018, Andreas Constantine. All related No Man's Sky logos and intellectual property included in this novelization are owned by Hello Games. Music by 65 Days of Static. Welcome interlopers to the fictitious podcast novelization through the procedurally generated universe of No Man's Sky. Chapter 1. Lost. I awoke lost, on some alien world, but I can't seem to remember how I got here. It's as if my memory has been washed clean, no name, no face, no recollection. I do, however, remember that I was cataloging things. Things like plants, life forms, formations, worlds. Intriguing. But why? The red sky and landscape flood my vision through the long day. At night, the cold bleeds through the layers of my shielding and my exosuit when I'm outside. I returned quickly to my ship. Luckily, I've got a backup generator working, but it's really the only thing keeping me warm. I've examined the ship's vital systems, and it seems to be woes and grief. So yeah, it's in need of repairs. The pulse engine, thrusters, all items critically damaged. What a mess. How did the ship end up so badly damaged? I know what needs to be done. It seems strange that I do, but I still wonder if I'll ever get it repaired. I needed to craft carriage sheets, the planet seems to be rich in iron, so I should be able to manage. But I'll need other resources, which might pose a very big problem. I found some parts, some of which I can use to reinforce the shielding. They're damaged, sure, but I should be able to repair them. Still, I have began searching for resources needed to get the ship back to its operational state. Outside, there's sparse life scattered about, mostly harmless from what I've seen, so I'll be cataloging everything I come across and updating all of my progress while I'm searching. I feel that's still important, At least, so until I can remember why I need to catalog everything. Either way, I'll keep doing it. Upon getting back to my semi-damaged ship, and assuming some sort of stasis, at least for the moment, I've checked my food and water supplies. They're low. I mean, dangerously low. So there's no time to waste. I've got to move. With purpose. With certainty. Chapter 2 Out and About I woke up early. Rather, I was awoken early. You can't sleep with the sun in your face. I slept in the ship's habitation quarters. A penthouse suite, which basically consisted of a cramped single bunk, galley kitchen, toilet, and a sonic shower. It beats sleeping outside in the cold, I guess. So yes, it did feel like a penthouse suite. But I left the cabin door open. Hence the sunlight in my face. I found a jetpack stored in the ship's supply cabinet. fits like a glove right over my exosuit, but I'm too scared to use it. Maybe when I'm feeling more confident. More confident that I'm truly a bird. Who am I kidding? The rest of the day I spent scavenging the landscape for resources. Fortunately, I was able to find fresh water and food. Mushrooms and some type of red potato plant. They both checked out as safe for consumption. After lunch, I trekked out again, this time focusing only on the ship's repair resources. By late afternoon, I was about ready to give up, till I stumbled into a hole in the ground while investigating a sound. It sounded like a mating ritual. For example, have you ever heard a horny moose crying in a rutting season? It's not pretty. But I'd fallen into a cavity and injured my knee and elbow. Nothing serious, just a few scrapes and bruises. When I got to my feet, I saw a few stars twinkling in the front of me, did I hit my head? I was wearing an environmental helmet, so I doubted. Then I saw a deep blue sparkle, a vein of iridium, actually a node of iridium, which extruded out of the hole while I was in. <laughs> I began to mine it in earnest. After making a few round trips, I mean, my exosuit can only hold so much, it eventually got too dark, and even with my helmet's torch, it was just too dangerous. But I collected enough heridium. The next morning, iron. That was in vast abundance. By the following afternoon, I'd crafted the coverage sheets I needed, as well as on my way to completing all of my repairs, except that I need chrysanite. There was no blue crystalline excursions anywhere, I needed to scout further, possibly camp further than my ship than I'd prefer, but I had no choice. If I ever intended to launch this ship back into space, I'd need to make the long trip across the harsh, alien terrain. Time was running out, as were my supplies. Chapter 3 Storytime Two problems. First, I froze during the first night while I was outside camping, so I slept in a cave. It was warmer, but still damp. Damp as a wet towel. But I survived the night. However, I've noticed that this planet lacks amenities for winter camping, as well as winter sports. If it had snowed, at least I could try out some of my skiing skills, you know, the ones... The ones I don't have. But at least I dream of having them. This dry red rock and cold. Cold like hell, without the heat. Secondly, my knee was swollen. My fall, my injury, well, it wasn't that minor after all. So I'm using a trekking pole to help me as I limp along. When I find the chrysanite, I'll need to head back to the ship. You know, get myself all patched up. Once the ship is working, the medic, the AI... Should be able to fix me up. On the second day, late in the afternoon, I found my chrysanite. Joy, oh joy. Now, get back to the ship before I die out here. I didn't make it back to the ship. Just before dusk, I came across something. A structure, hidden in the ruins. Alien. With auburn-shaded markings on the walls and pillars. I just had to investigate. It's the explorer in me. Without realizing it, it grew dark. fast. Very fast so I had to spend another night out in the wilderness, this time in the safety of the ruins. The main building offered me some comfort from the weather, even though there were no windows or doors. Still, the view was breathtaking, in a freezing sort of way. In the morning, I found a strange circular shape carved out of fragmented stone from the ground, a plaque of sorts. I reached out to touch it, and it seemed to spring to life. A bizarre sphere rose out of the plaque and spun in midair, dare I say, then I'd lost track of all time, sense, I had no idea where I was. A language I'd never heard before filled my head, and yet somehow I understood. A story played out in crashing silence the destruction of Corvus Prime and the ascent of the Gek? Who the hell are the Gek? Chapter 4, Her Master's Voice Her voice, what's what's wrong with her voice? It's, it sounds as if too harsh, ringing in my ears. I feel the cold, it's, it's really cold, it, like needles prickling at my skin a thousand jab-infested places. My face feels numb, feels like death. Am, am I dead? Am I dying? What is that smell? No. There's light. I know it's light. It's blurry, and it's wet against the moist, frozen glass. Glass. There's glass all around me. It's my helmet's visor. The glass is veiled in carbon dioxide and ice crystals. I- I'm in my exosuit, and I'm freezing. How long have I been out? The voice, the battering voice. It's the exosuit computer. Life support has fallen to- To? To what? I- I'm numb all over. The sun's rising, and sunlight's splashing a red shade on the alien ruin. I'm sprawled across a stone plaque. I feel pathetic. But I have to get up. I have to get my blood circulating. My legs. I can't feel them. I manage to push against my elbows, raise my torso, lift my stiff neck, and crawl to the still resting sphere in the center of the plaque. I don't have a choice. I activate the jetpack. Chapter 5 Purple Pollen. At first, I just catapulted. Simple as that. Catapulted into the sun. Well, into the direction of the sun. The rush of the air over my body shook me like a weather balloon in a tornado. Nah, scrub that. It felt more like a rag doll being flushed violently down someone's toilet. The jetpack had limited expenditure. It would have to be replenished soon. Otherwise, the ragdoll wouldn't be falling into a toilet, but splattering into the, well, solid ground. Now that's what I would term a vile ending. My visor was a crystal miasma. What a beautiful wall. What an enigmatic sight, hiding everything from view. I'd say almost comforting for someone who's about to die. But I didn't want to say that. What I needed was the ship signal indicator at the top center, indicating the direction I needed to go. The problem was, there was no ship indicator. I was facing the wrong way. My legs were still dangling, but something was happening down there. I could feel something. Blood was circulating its way down my toes ever so slightly, but it was happening. The jolt obviously did something right. Now, just to twist my body round so I could at least find the ship's direction, then land before the splatter. My arms and hands were still responding, as was my upper body, and I managed to twitch my torso incrementally. It worked ship appeared in the visor, but I kept twitching it till it was at the top center, but it was too far to reach without replenishing the jetpack, at least once. I slowly gained better control, and then gently descended. There were stars in the ground. Damn, my head was throbbing hard. The suit's oxygen. Depletion was imminent. Touchdown. Damn, my legs buckled. I should have expected that. Too much weight. I was carrying samples, resources, minerals I'd mined. I tumbled right over. Banging my head and back about the rocks. Then crashed against some giant alien plant, which at least was... soft. Purple pollen rained all over me. Pretty if you like funerals. And I was upright. Thank the... couldn't remember who to thank. The, the gods? I couldn't remember any gods, so I thanked myself. And the plant. Reminder to myself, if I survive this, give that plant a name. I sat against my plant friend. My vision was blurring. But in the blur, I could see the jetpack indicator had stopped flashing. It had recharged! I was losing track of time. Seconds seemed to last forever, no air left. So instinctively, I activated the jetpack one last time. Time's a funny thing, you know. The body works outside time when you die, and its passing is no longer measured. In fact, it doesn't even pass. It just is. But here's the mystery. How the hell did I wake back up my ship? Chapter 6 The Thing I regained consciousness, which meant I was alive. Just to reassure myself, I checked my HUD, my heads-up display. Yes, life readings. My life readings were registering someone alive in my exosuit, so it must have been me. The minerals I was carrying were no longer with me. Strange. How long have I been out? Calendar readings showed two days? I was starving, and I was thirsty. I grabbed something to eat from the galley. Had I left it in such a mess? I don't think I was alone. Someone had been looking through my belongings. I checked everything, but nothing was missing. The reading terminal had been left on, but I remember closing it. I noticed the page title, Planetary Resources Analysis. And below information concerning the resources collected on the planet, data and location also displayed someone was interested in what I had discovered, and they had gone through my data. A trader, perhaps? Maybe a pirate? Or even a smuggler? So whoever they were, they were in the right place, at the right time. At least in my case, since they saved me. Maybe they were just curious, and I was jumping to conclusions. But where? Where were they now? My knee was better. A bit numb, but the swelling was gone. I slowly moved out of the habitation quarters and my way to the ship's cabin. Outside, a silent, doeful mist hung heavy over the landscape of dark shadows. It was empty at night, without stars. The ship's canopy was tinted with readings from the display panels. In the low light, a single LED on the ceiling was flickering on and off. I froze. There was a pale reflection on the canopy of a small, pudgy figure seated in the pilot's seat. Somebody or something was in my seat, fast asleep and snoring. I nudged the thing. Didn't know what to call it yet. Hey, you there. Hello? Initially, there was no response. If it wasn't for the snoring, I'd consider the thing had passed away. Suddenly, it opened its eyes, eyes shaped like round black opals. It blinked, then croaked, crackled, and broke out in a gargling sound as it spoke to me. Friend. It said slowly, surprised that I could understand it. Need not worry. More gargling. Came to help. Saw danger. You in danger. I stood there gawking for a moment. Uh, oh, well, uh, thank you. stared at me for a moment, a moment longer, then burst out into hoarse laughter. I waited till it calmed down. Saw danger? I asked. You were watching me. But how? How did you know I was in danger? Scanner picks up radio distress signal from this ship. Came down to help. Poor distressed you, he croaked. Strange. I couldn't recall having sent a distress signal. At least, I don't remember having sent one. But I had found the ship, and it was in terrible state. Maybe the previous occupant had a signal transmitting all along, then had wandered off, and ended up lost. Or worse, dead. Like I almost ended up. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, all the same. That is, uh, you know, f- for coming down to help me. Help, friend. Yes. He paused. Its black eyes peered into mine. Then friend might help me too, yes? Its huge, striped, toad-like head seemed to stretch out sideways as its mouth expanded into a huge smile. I held back from laughing at the comical oddity, wondering what it might want from me. Nervously, I replied, sure. Squawking laughter filled the cabin as it stretched up its short, clunky arms. It started to clap jubilantly. I knew I had no choice. After all, it had saved my life. But I still wondered. I wondered what I'd just committed to with this bizarre creature thing. Chapter 7 Odd Friends Stranger Acquaintances I didn't get much sleep till morning, but I seemed to have made a friend of the creature, introducing itself as Navigator Kalo. Over breakfast I learned that my new friend was known as Gek, a bird-like, originally amphibious, merchantile race, native to the water planet known as Balron, which was the Gek's homeworld. He He talked a lot, There was no way to tell if it was male or female. Maybe the Gek were neither. Just being genderless. All the same, Kalo felt to me like a he, and he didn't seem to mind when I referred to him as such, stating that gender was determined spontaneously by the circumstances. Whatever that meant, leaving me just baffled. I did not pursue the topic further. Shuttle, have too many problems. It'll take too long to fix. Limited storage space, Kalo said. We salvage and leave for my ship. Carry what we can. How can we carry everything, I replied. You silly, he crackled into laughter. Look outside. I moved to the front of the ship to take a lookout from the canopy. I hadn't noticed anything in the dark of night, but now, in the early daylight, I see a large, bulky vehicle parked right beside my ship. Together, reload everything on the strong colossus and drive back to Holler. Then we leave Barren Planet. Kalo paused, while he studied me for a moment. Don't think too hard. Trust Kalo. Not safe here. Must go. And soon. Why? What's wrong? I asked. No time to explain now. Later. Now we go. Come. Start with supplies. Then ship parts. It took us till mid-afternoon to load the Colossus, stopping only for a short lunch break on Kalo's insistence and the orchestral accompaniment of loud, grumbling sounds emanating from his belly. The Colossus' name was justified. It had a lot of cargo space, and we managed to fill it up with supplies, parts, and plenty of room to spare. Kalo seemed agitated as the day began to fade. Wait, Hurry. We go now. I took one final look as Kalo drove off at the broken shuttle that had been my shelter. It reminded me of the carcass of some fallen beast I would read about somewhere in my lost childhood. Memories of a beast that had sustained my life, had kept me safe, but had finally succumbed to the ravages of a dead, desolate world, collapsing as it gasped for its last breath. Seems like there was a voice, someone reading it to me. Parents perhaps? My own mind playing tricks perhaps? I had no recollection of parents. In fact, I had no memory of anyone. We arrived at Kalo's ship before twilight, in a storm of stinging red dust, with visibility limited to the distance between the colossus and the ship. I could hardly make out anything. We struggled to load everything that we had packed in the holler, from the external holds in the roof of the Colossus. My protests to wait until morning were rebuked with a frantic waving of hands by Kalo, pleading, No time. Recall tonight. Kalo's urgency troubled me. I couldn't imagine why he was in such a rush to leave. And tonight, in the midst of a dust storm? A few hours into the planet's night, and we were done loading everything, including the Colossus, with its full hull but fortunately the storm had settled down to an occasional but annoying waft of dust, dirt, and sand. I couldn't believe we had finished. I was exhausted, hungry, and thirsty. Please, slowly, don't make noise. Follow Kalo on to Holler, come. I had no idea what he was talking about. I was beginning to think he had lost his mind. Maybe I should have stayed and repaired my ship. I was beginning to regret having followed him back here, but it was too late to think of regrets. What was done was done. I'd have to make the most of it. Following him slowly into the haller, I found myself in a dark room. Slowly, a faint blue glow from a single panel in the ceiling began to light the hold. Your Eminence,
1: please forgive Kalo, foolish servant of mine, for taking so long. It was some distance, many things to load, he said, smiling. Supplies were desperately needed, have been found, secured. We now resume mission.
0: Let me introduce. Kalo stopped and turned to me with a look of surprise. I don't know friend's name. Flabbergasted, I I looked at the single figure, seated in a couch against the back of the ship. As more light panels began to glow, I could see her young face. A female, humanoid, beautiful in every sense. She sat looking up at me and smiled. I replied slowly, I... I don't know my name. Chapter 8. A Blemish in Dark Blue
1: It doesn't matter that you can't remember your name. What's important is that we found you,
0: she said in a gentle voice. I actually didn't care that I had no memory of who I was. Having met her was more important, though I couldn't understand for the life of me why I thought so. Looking at her, I had a fleeting glimpse of an obscure image from a garden in the spring, then a stutter as the images froze and vanished. Oh... I jumped to Kalo's voice.
1: Rico, help holler off the ground. Talk later.
0: I followed Kalo to the holler's cockpit, while glancing back and wondering who she was. I hadn't even asked her name. Kalo chewed on something. I couldn't make it out. It seemed to calm him. There was a smell, a wonderful fragrance in the air, which left me feeling calm, yet focused. Don't you leave.
1: You take control, Sue. I balance thruster mix, big payload, extra oomph." Oomph? Yes oomph, like you need energy, power, push, understand? Otherwise we're stuck here on Red Planet, supplies I need. He paused to think. We need take back,
0: otherwise everyone's stuck, okay? He croaked, then stopped. Was that a nervous laugh, or just his way of relieving tension? I had no way of knowing what he was reacting to. Okay, I replied, as I didn't have much choice. Kalo guided me through the ship's controls. At first I was lost. Even though the controls looked similar to my shuttles, I had never actually flown either. But strangely, I understood what needed to be done. Still, feeling the whiff of clarity with Kalo's guidance, I stirred the holler nose gently up once the thruster began vertical liftoff. I could feel the ship's weight in the controls. The stress could be felt, the vibrations running through the ship's hull. It felt like the planet was still holding us back, angry with all the materials that we had taken and it. it wanted them back. Once free from the planet's gravitational pull, the hauler was much easier to maneuver, and Kalo took the helm. Now oh, we're well, good. Lots of
1: holler rendezvous with whooping Fro. My crew will be impatient. Surely anxious for noble homecoming. You have a crew?
0: Captain (laughs) Kalo! He laughed, or rather gargled proudly while bowing, as if introducing himself for the first time.
1: Always ready to
0: save friends for true compensation. So Kalo was the captain of a whooping freighter, and with a crew. And a trader, in fact. But trading in what? He had obviously been stranded in this system on the same planet as me, with a female humanoid and now, with my supplies and shuttle parts, we were all able to escape our shared misfortune.
1: You're a traveler, so am I.
0: I turned to see the humanoid was standing at the cockpit door.
1: Beautiful view. Is that the world we're on?
0: She asked. For a moment, I was unable to speak. Uh, b- beautiful. Yes, I uttered, without taking my eyes off of her. Realizing what I had said, I quickly turned to look out at the planet as I felt my cheeks blush. I'm sorry. I said, looking back at her, hoping she hadn't noticed. I-, I don't know your name. Aria. She answered. The hauler had now left the planet's orbit, and Kalo repositioned the ship away from the planet, pointing its nose into deep red abyss of space. He powered up the main pulse thrusters. Ambassador Arya Crusta Kalo added. What did Kalo mean? Arya was an ambassador? Ambassador to
1: whom? Or to what? Fasten down, holler, flinging far end of system, rendezvous whooping crater behind the planet, hidden in shadow of moon.
0: Arya and I returned to the holler's cabin and buckled into the two front seats that offered a bubble view into the cockpit and the canopy out into space. The acceleration was instant, then stabilized, allowing us some movement while the holler sped blindingly into the far end of the system. We approached a dark, Carulian planet and slowed down as we entered high orbit. Its face looked barren, lifeless, and cold. Far from the sun, its surface shimmered like a pale moonlight in winter. Kalo skimmed the huller across the atmosphere to the dark side of the planet where the only light came from the huller's heat shields, glowing orange in the thin, high altitude friction. In that endless night, I could only make out a small black disk looming in the shadows. We go there, between moon and planet, to secret spot of whooping freighter. Kalo pointed as he turned his head back towards the smiling.
1: Come on, speed safe now. Come to front to see Kalo's interstellar freighter.
0: Between the planet and its moon, a gargantuan ship loomed. The begotten offspring of some ancient giant floating in an empty ocean of gloom. As the holler approached, small lights appeared like fireflies in the dark blue. I watched as Kalo sent an encrypted signal. He waited for a response. The holler slowed as the freighter grew in size. The fireflies grew too, flickering now like candles. Kalo fell back into his seat as the realization of what we were seeing unfolded. 9. Burning Red The fireflies were not candles, but giant burning orbs, storage spheres adjacent to the ship's hull, which once stockpiled the freighter's supply of oxides and isotopes. They had been torn apart and pillaged. I felt that what hoped the three of us had rekindled would soon be extinguished, along with the fires. I'll come! I'll come! Kalo exclaimed. Arya had moved close to Kalo, then placed her arm over his shoulder letting him know he wasn't alone. Kalo maneuvered the hauler across the freighter's superstructure. Most of the turrets had been destroyed, the plating pocketed by blasts and explosions. Slowly taking account of the damage, he seemed to be calculating something in his head while mumbling words in Gek that I could not begin to fathom. I looked at Arya for an indication for what lay ahead, but she was preoccupied with comforting Kalo. So I risked asking, What now?
1: Now we land on Peppered Freighter to see what to fix. If freighter can be fixed, lots and lots of supplies will need. needed. Holler will need to work hard. We will need to work hard. But we see if we have any crew left alive. Kalo gently sashayed
0: the hauler to the far end of the freighter while trying to observe as much of the damage as he could before finally touching down. The bridge was still intact, as was the docking area. The blue flight deck shields were still functioning, and so we flew straight into the docks and landed. The docks were empty, save for one battered shuttle and a fighter that had seen better days. Who or whatever had attacked the freighter seemed to have taken what they wanted and left. Still, Caleb was not taking any chances. He opened a narrow cabinet in the back of the cockpit beside the door and passed us each a multi-tool, Aria a pistol, a rifle for myself, and he holstered a bizarre alien contraption, which was part mechanical, part organic.
1: Trusted number seven has shot plenty of
0: Pirates. I could see Kalo was happy to see his old red and gray fighter parked at the docks, with a large number, 7, painted just behind the canopy, still intact on the dock.
1: Too are out for stupid pirates to touch. He laughed. They know nothing about fighter. Kalo made special fittings, secret fittings. Fighter number 7 deadly. He smirked. Lucky number 7.
0: The three of us quickly made our way over to the bridge, with Kalo leading the way. There had been fighting, laser blasts pocketed the corridors, with the final blast door breached, the last stain was fought over the bridge, with damage evident on all three open levels. Storage cabinets had been blown open, computer terminals taken apart on the top deck, it was as if someone was trying to hack the ship's main computer. The communications console desk had been blasted into oblivion to prevent anyone from sending a distress signal. The central navigation console, however, was still displaying a three-dimensional image of the present planetary system, so it seemed intact. But the crew was missing. It's as if they were looking for something. The computers have been hacked, but not destroyed, I said.
1: Kalo, is it safe?
0: Arya asked with concern in her voice. Kalo kneeled down and opened a concealed panel at the bottom of the central navigation console. Out popped a compact, translucent musical keyboard, on which Kalo began to play a specific tune. Each key had a differently colored wire connected to it, running from the keys up into the console in a maze of spaghetti rainbows. It sounded strangely familiar, but I felt totally out of context, as if I was imagining either the music or the crazy situation I had found myself in. As Kalo played, the image of the three-dimensional planetary system distorted and started to remodulate into musical patterns as a new image formed. A strange, dark mold began to form in front of my eyes. At its center, a burning red sphere pulsated. Before the image could become coherent, Kalo stopped playing. The console and the planetary system reappeared. It's safe, Kalo said, taking a deep breath. He closed the console, stood up. Arya saw my confusion, but turned her attention to Kalo.
1: They'll be back. They don't have it. They couldn't find it. We need to go now.
0: She had lost her steady voice, and the fear was evident. That tune... It was familiar. How is it, I know it? I directed my question to both of them.
1: It's just a password for console. But Kalo plays music too, so maybe you hear Kalo's great performance. Known in
0: many gig systems. Yes, very popular. Kalo answered proudly while making some strange gurgling sounds.
1: You're, you're imagining things.
0: Arya said, trying to reassure me.
1: And now I'm imagining sounds. Is that a knock?
0: No, you're not imagining it. I can hear it too, I said, turning to look in the direction the sound was coming from. calm Kalo instructed us to follow him to the back of the bridge, then up the stairs connecting the different levels of the bridge, back across an upper conduit spanning the docks below, and ahead to the hydroponic bay. The door was sealed, but there was a steady knocking sound coming from within. Kalo came forward and entered a pin number with one hand, weapon at the ready with his other. I took aim on the door with my rifle, Arya kept at her distance behind us. I noticed she wasn't holding the pistol. The door opened, triggering a remote beacon. Kalo hissed and exhaled loudly, saying, No trouble, but crew safe. Five gecks were tied and gagged in a row, their backs against the wall. Quickly! Help me untie! I entered the bay with Kalo, and together we saw a multitude of stars cross our eyes as a loud thump shut at the back of our skulls. Chapter 10 Young Girl Dancing As I lay semi-conscious on the hydroponic bay floor, I dreamt I saw shadows. One white, the other as dark, grey perhaps, engaging in a whirling dance that bordered on hysteria. I was aware that my own ability to observe my surroundings had diminished. After all, I had been struck down by someone. That realization came soon after the stars fizzled out and my blurred vision slowly started to clear. The one in white was a girl. I could see the slender shape of her form. Was that Arya? She had been wearing a white exosuit. Coherence had broken down when I fell. The flow of events distorted. The need to remember what I was witnessing, however? Paramount. Order was out of sync, and a general state of chaos ensued. Marauders, or pirates, or whoever they were, had ambushed us. Strange. I thought they had taken what they wanted. What was missing? There were three, no, four of them. They had remained behind, fooling us into thinking that they had left, only to ambush us, knocking me and Kalo out. We had opened the door to the hydroponic bay and set off a beacon, sending a signal. Soon the rest of the pirates would return. We had failed. Failed Arya. I lay on the floor watching the image of the girl I associated with Arya change. She suddenly looked disproportionate. I was losing focus again. Unable to see clearly, she hadn't been caught, since she was moving freely between the pirates unless I was dreaming. That couldn't be her. What was she doing? How was she avoiding them? I was imagining things, I could feel my head throbbing. Arya throbbed as well, brilliantly white, then translucent. As if she was here, then not here. For a moment my head cleared, and I saw a dark impression deep within her. I saw it spring to life, a burning red sphere pulsated, the same one I glimpsed on the freighter's bridge when Kalo played the musical notes with his keyboard, but this time it was inside of her. Inside Arya, holding her form together as she pulsated, my eyes were playing tricks. I was only watching her heart beating, unless the red sphere was her heart, or I was losing my mind. One by one the black shadows seemed to fall, till only the white one stood. Arya? I lost consciousness again, but in the darkness I began to hear sounds and voices. Croc, no time to raise. I croaked.
1: Don't forget about me, boss. Time to drag pirates, throw them out and shuttle. Do so we have momentum to jump, jump, jump? You should get out of the system. To the bridge. Yes, spot.
0: More gargling sounds. I heard feet running, a lot of clacking, and the door opening. Bodies being dragged, and a door closing. Arya is out. Exhausted. Needs to rest. Sleep. Help me lift Traveler off floor. It was Kalo's voice. He was all right. Arya, what's happened to Arya? I struggled to ask as my vision finally began to clear.
1: I'm all right, she said. The beacon. Knock out the beacon.
0: She was talking to Kalo. Kalo chuckled as he turned his alien multi-tool on the beacon and disintegrated it. Bye-bye, little beacon.
1: Help me up,
0: she instructed. From the forward observation windows of the bridge, the battered shuttle drifted away from the freighter, loaded with four bounded pirates. Kalo's crew has made rudimentary repairs on the damaged computer systems, and we were running a simulated jump sequence. Okay, we hyper, hyper. But only one star system ready, said shoot, Kalos' chief technician announced. The jump simulation failed. Need to fix computer. More work, more time. He cried. A chorus of croaking grumbles echoed across the bridge in a unilateral agreement. Kalos sighed as he turned to the long-range scanners that had picked up a blip. Pirate ships were approaching, on the intercept vector. Pirates returning. Need time to fix broken computer, then jump." Kalo declared, as his crew suddenly fell silent. Kalo meet pirates midway, install.
1: Fighter number seven, lucky number... Save crew, save Arya. save traveler. Peppered whooping freighter must jump. He turned to his chief. Fix computer, jump. Kalo will follow later, same coordinates.
0: His chief nodded, and all his crew went back to repairing the damaged systems on the bridge.
1: Kalo turned to me and Arya. Friends, please not worry. Kalo, great pilot. Stupid pirates, no match for lucky number seven. Enough time to escape. Meet a new star system
0: when safe. He hugged us both and left the bridge. I turned to Aria. He'll be fine, I said, but I was not so sure.
1: I hope you're alright,
0: Arya said. The fighter blasted out of the docks and rocked its wings, signaling a final farewell while turning starboard from the freighter bow. Instantly, the main pulse thrusters came online, and fighter number seven, piloted by Kalo, disappeared. Are you a No Man's Sky fan, player, enthusiast, or just a fan of space fiction? Well, please enjoy this audiobook now, subscribe to the channel, or visit the actual novelization written by Andres Constantine at ode2alostexplorer.wordpress.com Until the next time, keep exploring, interlopers!